Hello, welcome to another episode of the Horror Vision Presents Murder Board, a true detective night country discussion. I am Sean. And I'm Missy. And we both just watched Night Country episode four. So there are two episodes left after this one. How are you feeling about things right now, Missy? I'm feeling pretty good about things uh, so far. I enjoyed the episode. You were just telling me you felt like not a lot happened. I don't really feel that way at all. And I think it bears noting that it this whole episode takes place over December 24th and 25th. Mm-hmm. And it's days seven and eight of the dark. Yes, good. I'm glad you pointed that out. Since so this is our yeah. Christmas episode. I've just been paying attention to how how far into the dark we get. And we have two episodes left and it's day it's only day eight. So we're only eight days in. Not that it has to go all 30 by any stretch of the imagination. Events right. are happening quickly as far as in the timeline of the story. I feel good. We're still getting a lot of character development. But there were a couple really interesting themes we saw explored today. We have several people having visions, defiance, and lots of themes of being alone. We have a couple different people talking about being alone today, which were all things that I found really interesting right but we've got jules having vision she's seeing her we saw her slash the dead mother in the cross danvers has been she saw the one-eyed polar bear navarro's seeing dead people and kavik knew she was coming well and and i mean julia like the whole seeing her mother under the bed at the treatment center Right. And that was actually maybe my like I really like the way did that they did that scene because the orange that rolls out from under the bed is the orange that Navarro, her sister, chucked into the frozen waste in the in the previous episode. Oh, I did I missed that. Yeah, she pockets an orange, I forget from where, and then wa- while she's walking, she I for, I forget what prompts it. I don't know if that's there was a point where she thought she saw somebody and she yells or something. I don't remember if it was just frustration, but she does chuck that orange into the wastes and then okay. it rolls right up from under the bed. So I thought that was pretty fucking cool. That is really cool. I I I didn't catch that connection. I think Isa Lopez is the perfect fucking person. Like you notice, so knowing tigers are not afraid fairly well. And the interplay that the dead have with the kids in that as mm-hmm. visions that can somewhat steer events. I mean, it's like the same fucking thing. They they knew what they wanted to do and they brought in the right person to fucking do it for sure. Right. And that's why I'm not worried about it, because um, especially Issa Lopez with Tigers Are Not Afraid, it takes a bit to get rolling. And then once it does. Like, once you get into the second act of that movie, it gut punches you and doesn't stop. Yes, but that's her movie. That's the, that's where I'm concerned, is that she doesn't have necessarily final cut or editorial control of this. It's a work for hire. So that's what worries me, is that not okay. that she wouldn't do what I want, but that HBO might waiver and and you know okay so to be fair so for the listeners before we rolled i was telling missy and i said i i was kind of flipping about i'm like well it'll be a short episode because nothing fucking happened and i immediately followed up with i'm being i'm embellishing a little bit and i also like the 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 metaphor i used uh was 
it would be like watching the first 15 minutes of Mandy, which is one of my favorite fucking movies of the last uh, who knows how long, and being like, oh, this movie's fucking boring, turn it off, right? So I don't mind if things take a long time. My concern with this is that the show has weeble wobbled before and kind of burned my expectations or it's not even my expectations. I mean, fuck me and my expectations and what I bring to it. I feel like they've kind of shit the bed on what they set out to do previously, even though I do love the, I mean, I pretty much love the franchise, but reservedly. And uh, so that's where I'm at. I just want this to be fucking perfect. And I feel like it's, it's already set such high, like it's going places that I love. And I just don't know that it's going to actually follow through. So that's why this episode kind of bothered me. But I understand that hopefully in a week or definitely in two weeks, I'll be like, no, it was it's all great. Like that was just the corridor to get to where we needed to be. We'll uh, just write it and see where we end up. Yeah. But I was definitely paying attention to people having visions. They continue to both Navarro and Danvers. Like I love both of their defiance. Both of them. I mean... <laughs> Navarro gets the bad news about her sister and then goes pick and picks a fight with three dudes. Yeah, that was awesome. And <laughs> it was awesome. I mean, yeah, I, when she turns up at Kavik, she looks terrible, but, like, you know that she made him pay. Like, yeah. She was beating the fuck out of those guys. You know, and then Danvers, too, like, Navarro recognizes Holden's polar bear immediately and asks her, you know, why do you keep it? It, you know, if you don't believe in any of this, why do you keep it? And so so she gets defiant, throws the thing out in the snow, you know yeah. she's gonna regret that. But <laughs> they're wonderful together. It took me a little while to warm up to them, but I love them both. And Kavik. Yeah. And then we've got a lot of as far as the alone theme. Navarro, first she asks Kavik about, you know, being alone. Why, you know, why are you alone in life? Mm -hmm. And calls out, you know, that she's alone, he is, Danvers, Rose. And then shortly after, we have Danvers talking about being alone and forgotten. Mm -hmm. And so those are just things that stuck out to me. I mean, it's interesting because Alaska is typically a place where people do, if you're not born there, you go there to kind of get away. Like, okay, the way that Navarro asked Rose, like, what did you bef what did you do before? And she's like, oh, you mean before I was old? And she's like, no, before Alaska. You weren't Rose. Yeah. And it's because people disappear to Alaska, right? You fuck up your life in, in the lower 48. You go reinvent yourself up where you're alone Right. Except for like the, the small town inhabitants that you have to interact with. And you could be basically just be whoever the fuck you want to be. Right. You don't have to be the same person you're escaping. I mean, and even uh, when shit goes bad for Cole or for Rust, he comes back here. So and that was for... exactly where I was going with it. That's where he went and, back to. And did you catch. Um, all right. So there's the scene with Danvers and Navarro in the car. Mm hmm. Um, and she's she's talking about how she, um you know they diagnosed her sister with schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, borderline personality disorder, and she said something to the effect of, "But do you want to know what was really wrong with her? It takes us one by one, and and you know who's next because she thinks that 
her her mother and her sister were cursed. Yeah. In season one, and I think it also happens in the car, Rust and Marty talking, Rust also thinks he's cursed. Really? Mm-hmm. Do you remember like the specifics of what how he how he like mentioned that how he uh described it? Well, he had a he had a wife and a daughter. Oh, that's I right. Think a daughter. Yeah. He had a kid. I think it was a daughter. She died. Right, car accident or something, right? And somebody run her over. Yeah. Or... Yes, yes, she was playing in the driveway. Yes. He doesn't say how how she gets killed. He just said she was playing in the driveway. So he also lost a child, you know, and then everything kind of goes wrong for him. He he can't control his anger, kills kills a suspect who hurt a child, and that's how he ends up in that whole drug ring thing, being right. undercover. And they burned him for four years. It's either one of the early episodes in the car, or it's um the first time he meets Maggie. I think it's the first time he meets Maggie because I remembered that that dinner, Marty has some preconceived notions about Rust. And at the end of that dinner, because Rust opens up to the Marty's wife. Um, yeah. It, it changes their relationship a little bit, him and him, uh, Rust and Marty, because I feel like mm -hmm. that's the first time Marty like stops seeing him as the tax man. And, like he regards him as a pain in the ass for the most part. You know, he's kind of like, oh, come mm -hmm. on, stop, you know, stop being like this. Funny he kind of starts realizing that he's a real person that might need yeah. people that might need help. I've been consuming all this stuff in big chunks. Yeah. So it gets, it gets blended. So but it gets I, Yeah. Right. The important thing is that we, so I would have never remembered that. So I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that you brought that up. Right. So it's just another way that they, they mirror each other. Yeah. Well, and that's, you can tell it's very, very intentional. Even like, I felt like the fight that Navarro had with the three dudes today reminded me a little bit of, I feel like, well, I know there's a scene early on in season one where Russ and Marty questions somebody, they go out to the car and then Russ is like, oh, hey, I'll be right back. And he goes back in and beats the shit out of both the guys okay. and comes back out with the information. You don't see it. You don't see it. But I feel like there might have even been, you know, it's a very self-destructive. It's like, I'm angry and I need to fucking mm -hmm. take my anger out on somebody else. And that's, I feel and like. Navarro has it too. Navarro has it too. And I mean, I think that's a theme that definitely is even in, and I know you're watching season two. <laughs> and that is definitely, there's an element of that in season two as well that can occasionally be enjoyable, even if most of the stuff around it is not, but but so it's that like hyper, it's not even, I, I feel like it's misidentified in season one as hyper masculinity. And it's not, season it's one not, gets, it's self-destructiveness. It's self-destructiveness. And people give, there's a lot of shit that people have given the first season of the show for stuff with like misogyny. And it's like, no, it's a story about misogyny. So, right. you you know, you ha like somebody in the show is going to have to be misogynistic if it's going right. to be about the, like, it's, you know. Russ himself is not. He's, no, not he's at self destructive. All. I mean, Marty totally is. Right. Yeah. Mar Marty's terrible. He's he's actually he's a terrible person. I mean, he's not a terrible person, but he's not a good guy until later. Mm -hmm. Like even maybe later. Like he he definitely his arc saves him, but he's not the person that Rust is for sure. He's one of the guys, no, you know. 
But that's what makes them so interesting. They're very mm -hmm. flawed. And so are Navarro and Danvers. Yes. And I mean, I like that we got a couple things in this episode that made you realize that Danvers does care about people. Yes. She cares a lot. It's, um, a, it's a defense mechanism. She puts up a shield. Like, look at the her stepdaughter. She wanted her to stay. There was a moment where, like, she, mm -hmm. she was, you could see her defenses were really coming down. Like, come on, I was going to make turkey or whatever. And then all of a sudden, click. Fine, get out. Get out. Throws the turkey mm -hmm. away, pulls out the vodka, and just starts fucking getting blasted. Yeah, her call, her calling Navarro <laughs> and uh, Peter drunk was just. It was good but, acting, or either that or Jodie Foster was really hammered because I believe she was drunk. <laughs> it was really good acting. It was kind of adorable. It it was endearing. <laughs> yeah. Did you notice that when Jules walks into the sea, she takes her clothes off and yep. holds them just like the scientist? So the first thing I said to Kirsten is, so when uh, later when uh, Navarro is talking to Danvers, Danvers is like, the dead are just gone. And she's like, yeah, my sister killed herself last night. She took her, uh, she walked into the sea. I was, and she's like, her body, her dead body is coming today. I was curious. First thing I said is, are her eardrums going to oh. be ruptured and her, and her cornea is burned? Because the folding of the clothes was identical, right? And mm -hmm. the walking off. So it's exactly what happened to them the in the Salal. Now, to jump to the end, what I didn't understand where, like, there was a moment where Jodie Foster comes back in, you know, they're in that, in the dredges, right? And she sees uh -huh. her sitting by the makeshift. She's, Jodie Foster sees Navarro sitting by the makeshift. Christmas tree and she's got blood running out of her ear. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh shit. And when she turned for a minute, I I was like, oh dude, are her eyes going to be fucking, are you serious? And they weren't. But so I wasn't sure how to read that. Well, I didn't get this until you just said that. When she said my sister's body is coming today, mm -hmm. I thought that meant like they were sending it. That's what she meant. But she sees her dead sister. She follows her dead sister, and we see her float by in the water. So that was a vision, and okay. she's hearing voices. You can hear. You can hear. There, they are relaying to us with the audio that she is hearing voices whispering her name, right, Evangeline. So we okay. know what she's hearing. We see what she's seeing. The thing that I was like. She's giving herself over to this vision, following it, even though knowing her sister's body is not there. But it's like it blots the vision, blots out reality, and she she follows it anyway, and she follows the right. footsteps or whatever. Um, I don't know if her sister was trying to show her something. I also don't know if the bleeding ear was supposed to be her manifesting one of her sister's wounds. Well, I think her sister is trying to show her something, and I had a. I mean, I don't know if this is right on or not. I had a thought that her sister gave in so that she could guide. Oh, that's really she can't take the noise anymore. So maybe she thought she could help her sister. That's really interesting. And I'm curious. Okay. So that makes me wonder if the mother showing up in the lighthouse, you know, in the lighthouse facility with the, where right. the orange rolls out, the mother's under the bed. We know it's the mother because of the cross. 
that makes me wonder if the mother is trying to convince Jules that we have to help your sister, but we can't do it from where you are. You have to come by me. You just put it into words better than I could, but that's what made me think that. I think that Jules made a decision. Part of it was that she just didn't want to do it anymore, but I think what pushed her over is she thinks she can guide her sister. And the Wheeler case, Danvers calls it out. She knows Navarro saw something at the Wheeler case, the one that went bad where they break up. And she specifically calls her out, is it happening again? Yeah. You saw something. I know you saw something. And then Navarro, if she doesn't open up to her, she lies. Which is funny because I feel like right before that, Danvers doesn't lie to Navarro, but the whole thing with the polar bear. So Navarro saw the polar bear. She sees it like in the first episode, she sees it out in the world walking around. Right. And and now Danvers saw it. So they were like, I was like, oh, they're going to have a conversation. But Danvers is no, I, you know what I mean? She doesn't. So that was a moment where they could have connected over that and probably made some progress. But because of what you were talking about, like her, her defiance, she just, you know, throws the fucking stuff bear out. But that is um, some kind of a manifestation of, of, so it's obviously if Danvers' son, and you called it exactly, right? I mean, we still don't exactly know, but we know. Holden, right. and I forget what the fa- the husband's name is, Jake. are dead. Jake. Jake. So they're dead. Because the police chief, or the, you know, the higher up, the one she's banging. Yeah, uh, Chris Rackleson. Yeah. Um, but so that, I'm assuming that is maybe a manifestation of Holden? It could be, because, again, tell my mommy. Yeah. I thought he wanted her to tell Danvers about him. Yeah. But maybe that's not what he meant. Yeah. Maybe he's saying, open, tell my mommy whatever it is you need to tell her. Yeah. That's more how I'm taking it now. Because the polar bear is a spirit guide. I mean, I think the the dead are coming to see their loved ones and their spirit guides too. Some of them. The people who are open to it. I loved when Rose was like, it's really quiet here except for all the fucking dead or whatever. It was great. It's like, yeah, well, this episode definitely shows that. There's dead everywhere you turn. I find it interesting too. All right. She was just about to open up to Danvers, but she still does a bit. Because she she tells Danvers about her sister. She doesn't tell Kavik. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, he doesn't, and he doesn't ask. I mean, that's actually one of the things I love about him. Yeah, he I, just, he's he's a good guy. I, I'm he's definitely a good like, guy, and he, yeah, he's a very he's a very genuine good person, and he loves her and accepts her the way she is, even though she can't. I mean, she's afraid of the commitment, but he's not. Like no, when he calls not. out that, you know, why are you alone? Like he looks at her like she's crazy. He it didn't occur to him. He's not alone. Yeah, exactly. He feels alone. He yeah. doesn't. Yeah. And <laughs> I mean, and he knows her so well that he starts, oh, let's talk about you and me and resets her fucking finger. <laughs> yeah. That was pretty funny. Cause he knew it would distract her and it would work. Um, 
But I mean, I was very impressed. It says a lot to me about his character that like when she starts having her breakdown, he just it doesn't matter what the reason is. Yeah, he's, he's there for her. He's just there. And he talks I mean, in the as he's kind of putting some of it together, he's talking to her like she's a wounded animal when he's comforting her. Yeah. You know, quiet and soft the way you'd the way you'd but I get that impression about him. He's probably better with animals. Than yeah, that, that's a good observation. I guarantee it. I'm sure that's one of the reasons I like him so much, because so am I. So I really liked the scene for multiple reasons. Um, they go to a door and Danvers is like, oh, here, why don't you go in, in front of me? And she's like, wait, why? And then she's like kind of <laughs> turning the other way. And <laughs> it's Adam Adam Bryce's uh, wife, you know, and then she's like, you didn't. Is there anyone you didn't fuck in this town? <laughs> so they go in. They go in and uh, we saw him last episode. And uh, he confirms that it's whale bones. So, and it was last episode, I said it looked like tissue. It's ice. The minute I saw it again, I knew what it was. It was like, oh, it's ice, but I didn't see the bones. So, whale bones. But then, so I love the way they set up the, this reveal in this episode where earlier Peter is like, oh, you had me look for similar wounds. This guy, uh, Otis Hess, blah, blah, blah. And then, so now they're going to put an APB out on this guy too, whatever. And then they go to Adam Bryce's and he's like, tell him about these caves. And he's like, well, let's just see who mapped it. Oh, Otis Hess. I thought that was fucking brilliant the way they kind of curled that in. Mm -hmm. And then to have him pop up in Clark's jacket and at the end. That was Annie's jacket. Or Well, yeah, it was Annie's jacket, but they were looking for it on Clark. Sorry. Right, because um, then Clark had it. And yeah, because Clark, Clark had it. it. So... I don't know, like, this is definitely going to those caves, but I wanted to point out, so on our episode last week, listener Stephen Jones, 4013, so he had some interesting uh, comments. So first, in, in reference to um, you asking about in the beginning of the credits, that like the, the opening credit sequence, which, by the way, they are adding shit because this was, uh, we saw something we had not seen before. I'm pretty so sure. It, and that was, I was like, is that a basement? No, it was the inside of the dredges. Okay. I didn't see that in the beginning, but what I did see is, um, there was a word in a reflection. Oh, I, I didn't see it. it. Trying to figure out what it was. And in fact, I'm trying to read it. And then I made Peter come look at it. And he's like, I think it's a street sign. It's not. It's the Salal sign in oh. reflection backwards. I am seeing lots of things mirroring each other, just most obviously Danvers and Navarro versus Marty and Rust. Everything's opposite. Because like we had Jules and uh, Navarro who, you know, Jules would, would listen. Navarro tries to keep one foot out. Now her sister went all the way in. And she's trying to guide her, and now she's hearing the voices. So this this listener, Stephen Jones, 4013, said the stag, uh, in the intro he's referencing, the stag mm -hmm. could be the very beginning, the sacrifice to escape darkness. He also said, um, 
Thank you so much. I've been on thread after thread explaining to folks, Rust could see the dead. He says it. Marty asks him in the end, do you still see them? And he said they are always there. Yeah. Um, right. So he, he mentions this, and this is interesting. So you remember in the, I, I think it's the last one, or maybe it's one before, where Navarro falls, hits her head, and she wakes up, and there's like the overturned car behind her. Yeah, it's the last episode. So he says the vision is the spiritual spiritual place she went in the military. I believe Navarro died and was brought back in the military. She accepted a message back then. So I don't know. I can't confirm or deny that. Just an interesting. Oh. I, I I still think it seems like it's going to end up being the car, but just because the little kid hands right. That's so where Holden and Jake died, but I don't know. I don't remember. I believe they did say that Navarro was in the military, but I do not remember. They, I don't remember that either. I'm pretty sure in the first episode they did. Maybe. So, he, okay, so this is really interesting. So he says, the guy in, in the, the guy in season one that Russ interrogated explained the cult is connected to that symbol. Mm -hmm. uh, all of the kids in season one were a sacrifice. So that's very interesting. So in other words, the trailer, when they kick open the Reggie Ledoux's trailer and there's mm -hmm. like, they're, they're not kids, they're, you know, younger girls or whatever. But, and then the last thing I want to bring up, he said, because I'm going to go into this right now. He said, towards the end of your video, the only thing you and your co-hosts are missing is Sedna. Look up the story of Sedna, Alaska lore. So I did. So Sedna, okay. that's S-E-D-N-A. And so for the listeners, I, I literally had not looked at our video for a couple of days. So I just read these comments right before we started this. So I did not have time to properly research Sedna. So I'm going to do the worst thing in the world and read off of Wikipedia. Cause like literally five, 10 minutes after I was looking at this, we started rolling. So just okay. very basically Sedna is the goddess of the sea and marine animals in Inuit mythology, also known as the mother of the sea or the mistress of the sea. The story of Sedna, which is a creation myth, describes how she came to rule over Edavun, the Inuit underworld. She's called the Mother of the Deep in Western Greenlandic and Nerevik or Nulyajik. I'm butchering this. She's sometimes known as other names by different Inuit groups, such as the... I'm not even going to try that. Um, old Woman Who Lived in the Sea. Uh... In one legend, she is a giant, the daughter of the creator god, and Gunta, with a great hunger that causes her to attack her parents, angered Agnunta, takes her out to sea and throws her over the side of his kayak. As she clings to the sides, he chops off her fingers and she sinks to the underworld, becoming the ruler of the monsters of the deep. Her huge fingers become the seals, walruses, and whales hunted by the Inuit. We, we saw her in a mural. It, I thought it was, it looks like a deep one or an octopus god it's like graffiti like spray paint oh dude and also i will put this image in i put this image in in the last episode i holy shit so okay stephen jones 4013 thank you thank in you the, so much in the first episode the drawing that the little kid is doing and they say somebody i forget who asked what it is and somebody says it's it's um it's, in Inupiaq lore, right? It's Sedna because it's it Peter's is a. Wife. It's a yes. Peter's wife is the one who says it's Inupiaq lore. It's a stick figure kind of kids drawing of a woman with her fucking fingers cut off and blood pouring out of her out of mm -hmm. 
Yes. <laughs> so there we go. So that's who's awake. But we see in this episode, a mural when they're investigating, there's also like um when they go to like that warehouse place, there's also a big spiral on Oh yeah, like, yeah, the yeah, door. yeah. It's that place. You there is a big mural and it's like in black spray paint with yes. red eyes, and it's like an I thought it was like a it looked like, like a, a giant spider one. to me. It looked like a giant octopus to me. Okay. So there so here we go. So so Stephen Jones 4013, thank you. So Sedna, I mean, I feel like this is definitely where we're going. Um so some kind of goddess of the sea who's the ruler of monsters. What that means is anybody's fucking guess. I am happy though, it's that they're taking a different route. You know, like like for instance, I really dug that hereditary used Paimon. Yeah. Instead of just Satan. Not against Satan. Mm -hmm. I think he's probably an okay guy. But, mm -hmm. you know, like, there's... You can go into the lesser key of Solomon. There's, in the Goetia, there's so many fucking, you know, the Archdukes of Hell. That, like, it's all these entities. So I like when people incorporate different ones. And so this is a little bit okay. different. But instead of doing... Like I've seen people kind of uh I don't listen to any other podcast for this show when we're do when Neither we're watching this because I don't want to hear something that somebody says and I'm like, oh, that's gotta be spot on. Then I don't want to repeat it as my own, right? So I just right. don't listen to anything else. But I've seen some thumbnails and I've seen a couple thumbnails that seem to suggest Cthulhu is coming. And I'm like, I I hope not, because I feel like that would not be cool. Even though I'm a Lovecraft fan right. and I love Cthulhu, like Let's not do that. Let's do something different. Right. But when I saw the octopus goddess or whatever, it's probably the Sedna, that's what I thought, that it was like a like a deep one, like something related to Cthulhu. Mm -hmm. Man, this is interesting. This is definitely interesting. That's really cool. Thank you, listener. I didn't get a chance to see anything when I looked at it. Last yeah, time we didn't have any comments. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm. So I love when people contribute because, like, just w like when I did the Twin Peaks of Return videos. Oh, now what? Seven? Jesus Christ! Seven fucking years ago. <laughs> um, people would comment and like, my, you know, constantly like mind blown, mind blown, mind blown. Like, there's, I'm. This is meant to be a discussion. Like, that's what right. we call it. It's not just you and me discussing it. I want other people mm -hmm. to chime in because yeah. I know I'm not always seeing, I mean, most of the time, I mean, you get caught up in your own experiences and what you bring to it and you're missing the obvious, right? So, or, or what's obvious to somebody else, so. Right. And yeah, we talk to us. We like to talk to people. Yeah. The other thing I wrote down was when we find Otis, he says that Clark went back down to hide. He's hiding in the night country. And we're all in the night country. Yeah, we're all in the night country now, which... So where did he go down to hide? The caves, probably. That's what I'm thinking. I mean, my assumption is the night country is... Alaska. Yeah, like, right? well, and I think they're specifically referencing, like, when it's... When it's the 30 days a night, it's night country, right. right? So I didn't totally understand when he said he went down to hide in the night country, but I feel like 
that is I, going to be explored? Back to what Rust had said about the, the light in the dark at the end of the first episode. Oh. Or, I mean, at the end of the first season. That's about, interesting. Uh, the light in the dark. The dark has more territory, but the light is winning. And now we're here we are in the 30 days of night in Alaska. It's day eight of the dark. And now Otis is talking about the the missing man hiding in the night country and that we're all in the night country. Wow. I'm very, very curious. Ah, oh, fuck. I gotta wait a week. What the fuck? May, I mean, almost a week. It, I don't know if you caught it. It said something about... Friday. That right? might drop Friday. But Friday is also the Joe Bob mutant Halloween... Or mutant Valentine's Day live stream. God damn it. Yeah, no, I'm glad you brought that up because I we did see that because I... I never we and listeners we were Missy and I were just saying this. I and we never even talked about this before. I don't watch the coming attractions for the next week ever. Neither do I. And this week I did because I was I'm I'm getting like and to, I did too starting to pull my hair out because I'm like fuck there's only two left where like uh and it said Friday at nine so I'm it did fuck. okay well. I'm going to be watching Joe Bob unless Joe Bob plays shit that I don't want to watch, which usually I'll watch stuff just for Joe Bob. Mm -hmm. Not always. Um, I'm Yeah, sometimes you'll nope out. I usually don't. I've been proud. Last two days, I stayed up till like 2 a.m. Yesterday, I I I, I did. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was good. Friday night, I watched uh, Angst for upcoming Elements of Horror. And... Uh, and then uh, yesterday I watched a couple movies. So I, I, and I've been sleeping in. Okay. Anyway, we're going to wait. So <laughs> in, in the night country. Uh, in anything, the night country. Anything else? I don't think so. Did you have anything else? No, it, it was. I mean, I definitely feel like I wanted more, but I'm still, I'm not, I'm not passing judgment i'm just anxious oh, i do have something else okay all right so, um we keep seeing the video of annie mm -hmm. where her like blair witch video um right, so i was trying to look at the background at first it looked like a mouth like a throat that's why i but thought danvers yeah. change it moves to the picture and like zooms in on part of it mm -hmm. and you, you see the whale bones in the wall but you see a person behind her. Is it? Is it? So I couldn't tell if it was a person or if I was. They played it enough where I felt like I should have gotten the gist to of it. To me, it, but it, it was... looked like like an opening in the cave and a person walking in with like, oh. a light, like a headlamp, and then you could see the um, the the whale bones like sticking out of the ice. But I mean, when Annie shot the video, it. It almost looks like you're staring down something's throat. Yeah. But then when she is, you know, zooming in and trying to see it, I it looks like a person to me. Interesting. Like a, like a silhouette. Okay. Well, and the revelation that they 
I think, I think it's a revelation. Although I was like, couldn't her phone have just died? But the thing with um, Dan yeah, was yeah, saying, like, oh, the power being cut. So there was a generator in the cave and now Tagak is gone. So I feel like there's some, I'm not quite sure what it is, but it seems like we've got multiple. So we've got Clark, we've got Hess, we've got Tagak, we've got a generator, we've got Annie. Mm -hmm. So it, it almost seems but like- again, another thing mirroring each other. Because Danvers, um, she catches, she's the one who catches that. We have Clark's video that the power goes out, it goes dark, and he says she's awake. At the end of Annie's video, the power goes out. Yeah. That's what made her. Yeah, that's what she says. But so I, I, I got the power going out in the Salal. I didn't get, at first right. I was like, wait, wouldn't it just be her phone? dying but but i guess right we have the the potential if there is a generator there so we've got a potential for annie and at least three of these people so that to me sounds like a some kind of possible cult activity ritual activity something so i don't Maybe. know so here's hoping next week starts putting the foot down on the accelerator a little bit mm-hmm Until then, Missy and I will be hanging out in night country. So I'm <laughs> I'm Sean, and I'm Missy, and uh, we'll see you we'll where the talking to us. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll see you where the polar bears have one eye.
pandemic of violence floods the streets of major cities as cases of the media dubbed murder virus, MV20 soar, causing those infected to go on killing sprees. Caught in the middle, police detective Angela Miller finds her only trustworthy ally in the self-proclaimed psychic PI, Gerald Henry. As the two try to navigate the violence, they are drawn into new age guru, Abramelin Harvest's plot to heal the planet. Harvest's missive? The world is sick, and humanity is the infection. The cure? Murder. From the twisted mind of Sean C. Baker, author of A Collection of Desires, and Shadowplay in Book One, Kim and Jesse, comes his most vicious novel yet, Murder of 